This is Kanzenshu, the podcast episode 441 for the week of April 29th, 2018. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Cons and Shoe. The podcast. An extension of the all-encompassing Tongpu fansite. Cons and Shoe. We cover anything and everything. Dragon Boy, the adventure of Tongpu, uh, in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. We are, we're going right into part two of it, because why, why the heck not? We've basically, is one of the only things that at least I've been working on the last couple weeks. Figure we'll just knock it all out here. Uh, my name is Mike Vegito EX. Joining me once again is... It's Julian. Hello, sir. Hello. We have one more part and then we're done. We're, we're wrapping up a project. This is uh, unprecedented for us uh, how yeah. quickly we brought this together. I know, right? Uh, that reminds me too. After we were finishing recording last time, it occurred to me that I completely neglected to mention something that else that Toriyama did for Fresh Jump, and that was his um, How to Draw comics series that he did with oh. Akira Sakuma. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was like thirteen parts, and uh, it's um, the Hetapi Manga Kengyujo, which is the uh, lousy comics laboratory or crappy manga lab, if you prefer. Right, I think most of us know that as its collected release. Yes, but that originally ran in Fresh Jump, and I think when it ended, they realized there wasn't quite enough, so Sakuma did a bunch more without mm-hmm. Toriyama's involvement, but. It was a, originally a collaboration there. And who resurrected that uh, many, many years later? Wasn't there a, a redo on that? I think it was Yusuke Murata. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I think it's uh, Hetapi Manga Kenkyujo R or something mm. like that. That was back when he was doing um, the football one. Was that Eye Shield? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. A little follow-up to what we talked about last time. Uh, Fresh Jump, not going to be a part of this podcast episode. So uh, if you want to know all about Fresh Jump and what was published there, dive back to the previous episode. What we're going to be doing this episode, this is the second and final in a two-part series, what we're calling Dragon Ball Prototypes. Last time on the show, we talked uh, some of the ideas that Toriyama was using in Dr. Slump that would get reused in Dragon Ball. And then we went right into Dragon Boy, a two-part series that uh, was published in Fresh jump and served as one of the real kind of transition points uh the source for formulating new ideas that would turn into a new series but along the way uh it wasn't just dragon boy toriyama did one more hesitate to call it a series it is just a single one shot this time around a single complete beginning to end 45 page one shot in a single publication uh that's the adventure of tong poo we're going to talk about that this episode and then we're going to chat up the actual drafts the manuscripts that would become Dragon Ball proper. So not just a one shot along the way, but the things that actually turned into the series that folks would be reading later in 1984. That's what's on tap this episode. We got plenty to chat about, so we're going to jump right into it. Here we go. So Julian, like we talked about, uh, Dragon Boy was a two-part series that was published in Fresh Jump, and then it turned into monthly Fresh Jump, uh, kind of in yes. between its chapters. The Adventure of Tong Poo, we will talk about the title of it, but for now we'll just refer to it as The Adventure of Tong Poo. Uh, where was this published and when? So this one was published in the main weekly Shonen Jump. It was the 1983 number 52 issue, which was the uh, last issue of publication year 1983, but in in fact it was published on the 29th of November. So it's always the first few issues of the publication year actually are still in the previous year. It's one of those quirks of jump. This is the uh, last issue of publication year 1983, and uh, it's very much uh, sort of those um, near-the-end-of-the-year one-shots that you sometimes get. Could be testing the waters for something. The cool thing about this is 
that since it's published in Weekly Shonen Jump, it's not an approximate. Uh, like two days earlier, there was a chapter of Dr. Slump. There, there was an actual chapter of Dr. Slump alongside this yep. in Weekly Shonen Jump. Uh, this is chapter 199. And like we were talking about last time, uh, Toriyama will be wrapping up in uh, basically 40 chapters at this point, fewer than 40 chapters. Chapter 236 is going to be it the following August. So we have under a year before the end of Dr. Slump. That is right. And uh, at this point, he starts getting into uh, actually more and more Chinese things that he likes to slip in. He does visit mm-hmm. uh, China uh, during the last couple months of the, the serial. He reports on going to China and coming back. And he has a title page where Arare is wearing a Mao suit and uh, greeting the reader in Chinese. But um, it's it's interesting to see that kind of progression as he's clearly ramping up for what's coming after. I, I feel like uh, if you're if you're reading the stars correctly, you can see where you're going at this point. Uh, I wonder how many people, just the, the casual fans reading Jump at the time, knew what they were reading at this point, kind of piecing it all together. What do you think? Was was it Would it be clear at that time, or would you just be completely oblivious to it? Um, I think people might not have known. I mean, I think they could tell that it was heading somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some ways, you have these arcs that are wrapping up. You have the 10 years later thing where it's basically revealed that who's going to be with whom, which is pretty obvious even if you're just reading the series. But it's basically another opportunity for Toriyama to make a jab at himself uh, because he, 10 years later in the far-off year of 1994, he's... <laughs> A homeless beggar, which the actual Toriyama is definitely not in 1994, but of course he had no way of knowing. <laughs> he will be even more rich that 10 years later, and he'll be yep. getting ready to wrap up the next one at that point, honestly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's just get on into it. Like we we say, we, we like to do these manga review of awesomeness style. We'll give you a recap of the chapter. This one's a little longer. Tongpu is a full 45 pages, and then we'll get into... Uh, all sorts of uh, artwork critique and story and writing critique, all the all the good stuff. So Tong Pu begins here. Planet 12, it's not actually a planet, it is the 12th ship sent out to investigate alien planets. This ship is drifting through space with its sole crew member, Tong Pu. Tong Pu is awoken from his sleep chamber, and after some incidents washing up and using a, a butt cleaning device that appears to take up um, far more mass area in his spaceship than it probably should. Classic Toriyama joke there. He gets on with his mission of checking out this new alien planet. Only problem is that there's no planet around and the ship's emergency warning is going off. Tongpu uses the computer system to find out that engine number two is damaged and the ship is set to explode in under a minute. So Tongpu scrambles to get his scout ship and he escapes just in time. He figures he'll have to just keep flying until he runs out of fuel and then swim the rest of the way if he can even swim in space although if you're paying close attention the breathing in space thing this is important this will come up again later in the series i say <laughs> i say series later in the one shot so Tongpu spots a planet close by and lands to find it mostly covered by water but with a few islands and decent air quality he boils up some water and drops in his number 12 capsule to produce a hover bike he comes across a wrecked spaceship and swims inside to check it out only to discover it is actually planet Eight, a ship that left two years before his. He figures the three crew members must have landed here and had trouble. He stumbles across one dead pilot who clearly had been shot through the chest. So Tongpu readies his own pistol. Peeking over a rock, Tongpu spots a girl taking a bath. After briefly scouting each other out, the girl asks Tongpu if he knows how to use a machine gun that she has nearby. He politely explains how to use it, only to have her turn around and fire on him with said machine gun. 
Tongpu tries to reason with her, explaining he is also a human. He proves it by answering that the tallest mountain on earth is Mount Everest. Settling down, the two chat out how the three crew members arrived, but two days later, an alien spaceship also arrived, and the alien who emerged killed the other two. The girl says she hid the whole time, which is the only reason she is still alive, but she's been struggling ever since. Tongpu decides to bring the girl, named Pramo, back to his house. From here on out, I'm going to say Plamo, and we'll get to the names uh, a little bit later on. Plamo doesn't see a house, though. Tongpu says she must not know about capsules, and uses number four to produce a full house. Plamo digs into a box lunch while Tungpu is satisfied with his rather gross drink. Plamo has no idea where this planet even is, so Tungpu wonders why she was selected for this research in the first place. She takes out a spoon to show her supernatural powers, and an hour later, the spoon has indeed bent a tiny little bit. Plamo wonders why Tungpu himself was chosen, to which he answers that she will see. After a failed attempt at washing up together, Plamo busts out a sexy dress that she says is part of her secret awesome mega plan to distract the alien and steal their spaceship. Tongpu wonders if aliens would even care about her looks. As the planet's sun rises and wakes up its inhabitants, Tongpu and Plamo take off on the hoverbike in search of the alien and its spaceship. They spot the ship in the distance, and when it seems like the alien is nowhere to be seen, Tongpu rushes in. He peeks around, trying to figure out the layout of the ship, while Plamo makes her way inside as well. Tongpu finds the control room and decides he'll bomb the spaceship from the fuel room. While he doesn't have a bomb, he does have a grenade. He runs back to the ship's kitchen, grabs some ice, and creates a makeshift time bomb. When the ice melts, the grenade latched between the two cubes will open and detonate. Tongpu rushes out only to find Plamo captured by the alien. Tongpu goes to fire his pistol, but the alien shoots a much larger gun right through Tongpu. The alien attempts to eat Plamo, but she somehow manages to get free. Tongpu is suddenly back on his feet, even with a hole through him. The alien keeps on firing at Tongpu, but he is a cyborg. Completely angry now, Tongpu unleashes on the alien, knocking him out with a couple swift punches. It is just then that Tongpu remembers the grenade, which is about to explode, so he grabs Plamo, who is distracted and smacking the unconscious alien with a stick, and runs away just in time. Back at the capsule house, Tongpu and Plamo try to figure out what to do next. With only the tiny little scout ship, they'll never make it back to Earth, so they'll have to look for another nearby planet. Tongpu says the ship is only made for one person, but Plamo knows exactly how to handle that. With Tongpu hanging on for dear life atop the ship, Plamo flies off in search of another planet. Their adventures are only just beginning. So Julian, let's start at the beginning, which is the title. <laughs> of this. Again, I, I keep wanting to say series. It's not a series. It's a, it's a one-shot. I'm not used to this. Tongpu uh, Daiboken. Except that's not what it's written as in English over there. Yes. So it's literally got the English title on there of The Adventure of Tongpu. But uh, literally it translates to Tongpu's Great Adventure. It definitely feels like a, a Kami Tokami Battle of Gods kind of thing where it's like it's in the ballpark. It's in the ballpark. It's not exactly the same, but you kind of get the idea. So last time we talked about where Toriyama was, some of the previous one shots he had done. Uh, we're not going to repeat a lot of that information. Same thing where we talked about where he is in Dr. Slump already. So let's just jump in to uh, a couple key Dragon Ball comparisons here. Tongpu is a little different from Dragon Boy, where it's not so much the Chinese aesthetic, although it just feels like a, a space version of that exact same story, right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there to the point where it's like, yeah, we can definitely tell where this came from. 
What's really funny to me is that we're we're going off to space here in Tongpu. That's something that Dragon Ball is not going to do for quite some period of time. But it seems like Toriyama's already here in 83 is kind of knocking around these ideas. I, I want to do a Chinese story. I want to do a sci-fi story. I want to do a Kung Fu story. Uh, how can I just mash this all together? And it seems like he separated them out for a little bit between Dragon Ball and Tongpu and even Dragon Ball, not so much at the beginning, but it, eventually it got there. And these stories certainly laid the groundwork for it. Um, I, I want to talk about the design of Tongpu, but I guess we should talk about his name first. How do you want to explain this name? Tongpu's name is actually written in katakana, which is a phonetic script usually reserved for things like uh, foreign words and names. But in this case, it seems to be based on actually uh, a Chinese word written with the characters for east and wind, which I'm probably going to butcher this, but would in Chinese be something like dongfang. And again, it literally means east wind or, or metaphorically winds of change. And this has been used in Japan before, but it's particularly been used as the song title on uh, the self-titled debut album for Yellow Magic Orchestra, which Toriyama has previously noted that he liked. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that um, the that particular song title was romanized exactly in the spelling as uh, the character's name in, in this one shot. So I think it's pretty likely that's where he got the name from. Right. Now, that interview was 1980, I think it was? 80, I think, yeah. And with this album being 78 uh, and Tongpu, I guess we can say not just written in the title, but actually in our alphabet within the art of the the chapter itself. We can't concretely say that Toriyama got the name from Yellow Magic Orchestra. Probably influenced him in some way. So uh, without a definite word from the author we can't say for sure but it seems pretty likely i want to talk about his design real briefly because uh it's cute he's got his goggles he's got this little satchel thing he's got his pistol uh i look at it and i go oh my god that is the hero character from dragon quest 2 just swap out the pistol for a sword and a shield and you you essentially have the same character he's got the goggles he's got the 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 pullover helmet with the little ear things on the side um it's got the satchel the way the belt is uh dragon quest 2 won't be out for another few years uh two or three years at the this point i look at it and go man you really are just drawing the same thing over and over and sure enough dragon quest 3's main character looks a lot like gohan yeah <laughs> uh, lots of dragon quest comparisons to make but we'll uh we'll jump away there we're gonna do the dragon ball comparisons here i feel like tong poo does whereas dragon boy they, they felt more like i'm gonna use this in a different way like the dragon balls i mean that was a dragon jewel that gave you an actual dragon that kind of did nothing over here in Tongpu, we have capsules we have a capsule house we have them going inside the house we have plamo firing on Tongpu. Uh, it's just like these exact same situations are happening the exact same ways in dragon ball uh, and in that way i feel like Tongpu serves even more of a, of a prototype, at least for the early chapters of Dragon Ball as is. I feel like Dragon Boy kind of set the overall kind of story and mission and goal, whereas Tong Pu kind of serves up these framing, these panel framings that are going to be carried over as is. Exactly. So there's a lot that's very similar here. So where do we want to start in explaining each one? Oh, geez. Let's start with the capsules. These are the Eero Eero capsules. Uh, the old skin Lation translated this as variety capsules. I, like You and I were trying to talk about, like, is there a better way to describe this? That's that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's good. Enough. <laughs> uh, I'm not doing this professionally. So yeah, we'll go with that. You were saying something like anything goes or whatever you want capsules, something like that. 
Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> you know, you know, lots of different things. So, uh, yeah, so they have the ability to house a variety of items, as you might suspect. And, um, yeah, their, their uh, method of uh, getting them to open up is a bit more involved, since you have to boil water. But they're, they're definitely a clear precursor, or a prototype, if you will, for the Hoi Poi capsules of Dragon Ball. I wonder if he looked at the the boiling them uh, in water and said, why would I handicap myself that way? It's so much easier to just throw them. Uh, And that allowed him to do something. uh, Isn't this something that Torishima really latched onto early was Toriyama's ability to do uh, even the English language kind of uh, onomatopoeia for for things? Oh, the lettering. Yeah, Yeah, that was was literally why he... uh, called Toriyama out of the blue is like, ooh, he saw the lettering. It wasn't um, the actual um, story itself, which happened to be a Star Wars parody. No, it was it was the sound effect. I feel like that gives Toriyama just a, a great excuse to do that. And Torishima's really, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, you're, you're really good at that. Someone take away this handicap for yourself. Uh, but this gives us the situation of going into the house. I mean, everything about creating the house, going into the house, the sitting down and having your drink and having your meal and it's just that exact same scene from Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> they even um they even have one an exchange where one comments on how disgusting the other's food is. I guess jumping back a little earlier too, uh the setup is uh a little different. I think it's funnier in Tong Pu than it is in Dragon Ball, where she jumps out and just starts shooting at him. I love the exchange of, can you tell me how this machine gun works? Oh, thank you. And then she fires on him. I think that is right. hysterical. But, uh, I mean, overall, it's girl comes across boy, fires gun at boy, who is able to dodge slash take the attack and you know, they work out what they need to do right it also reminds me of the the scene later on in um uh, i think it's chapter four of dragon ball after they get back to the capsule house uh from uh helping the turtle get back to the sea mm-hmm. and that bulma is obviously a lot angrier at goku for reasons that goku is unable to fathom because he's goku uh, but that's a very similar pose to the way yes. that uh, puramo shoots at tongpu I guess since we're talking about her, let's talk about her name a little bit. Uh, I look at it, and the first thing that came to mind for me was, oh, maybe it's a it's a play on Plum. Maybe he's already getting into uh, the the food or just rearranging syllables, kind of thing. Uh, I think far more likely is he's just naming a character for a thing he likes to do. Yeah, so he's very into plastic modeling. So Puramo Deru, Plastic Moderu, Puramo. It's it's literally just the the abbreviation that's used in Japan because Japan loves to. Uh, clip everything down to three or four syllables, right. and this is one of them. Yeah, <laughs> and so he just used that as is. I don't think there's a confirmation on that that you and I have read, but it, I mean, it it just is, and everything he yeah. talks about year in year out is he likes it's to do plastic the models. models. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's no confirmation, but it's pretty obvious. So between Tongpu and Plamo here, it's we don't have a confirmation, but we're we're 99.8 percent sure <laughs> at this point. Right. Now, the only other real character uh, in this chapter is the alien. And we talked about this last time. Toriyama is even more directly just stealing the xenomorph uh, race design from alien yeah. here because it's an actual alien this time as opposed to a robot. But we have that along gated head thing going on uh, we get a big tail uh, it's kind of buff but other than that it's just that design 
Right. And he, he's had uh, monsters and aliens that look like this in Dr. Slump, too. So he's no stranger to this design. He's even drawn himself as a xenomorph at one point. Right. You mentioned that last time. I mean, we, we pointed out, but it almost doesn't need to be pointed out because he's done it before. He's doing it now and he'll do it again at least two more times in Dragon Ball after this. But something that uh, I, you wrote about in uh, an article that we did in our 30th anniversary magazine. I love this. It's, it's a very specific pose, a very specific paneling. It's just a character or two characters uh, on top of a hover bike thing just the exact framing of the panel the angle of them the way they're driving forward uh it was done in pink it's done here in tong Pu. it's going to be done again in dragon ball with yamcha it's just man you there's something you like about drawing characters that way and just getting that uh that motion on the page yeah, I'm, I mean, it's it's almost like he was just sort of looking at it like, ooh, I can use this again. It's, it's hard to say for sure, because uh, sometimes he does things without realizing it, and sometimes he does it deliberately. But the just the sheer similarity makes it seem like maybe he was using it as a visual reference. Yeah. Let's talk uh, about the alien here, uh, and maybe even some of the fights in Dragon Boy, and then some of the fights in Dragon Ball, uh, maybe with the the Pterodon and the, the Bandit Bear. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, the situations and even the choreography here. So you, you have, again... Um... So the pose where the alien is holding uh, Puramo, I don't want to say hostage because it's not really like a hostage situation, right? but um, the way that the, the Pteranodon grabs Bulma and is just holding there while Goku is sort of looking, well, Goku is looking sort of in bewilderment while uh, Tongpu actually understands the, the, the gravity of the situation. But that's very similar. And then when uh, the hero actually jumps into action to do something about uh, the alien, I feel like Toriyama reuses a lot of the same choreography in the fight against the bandit bear mm -hmm. in, in the, the third chapter of Dragon Ball. The nice thing here is that the, I feel like the angles are a little bit different. Uh, like for Tung Pu, the follow through, you see from uh you see Tongpu coming towards you as opposed to in Dragon Ball where Goku is punching away from himself into the bear's eye um but overall they're kind of like flipping onto their opponent and hitting them into the face uh here at least I think it's nice that Toriyama isn't he, he's copying the choreography but he's not copying the the paneling so with that in mind I, I guess let's talk about the art in Tongpu a little bit it's tough because you want to separate it out because all right we've had Dr. Slump that's going to still be going we've had two chapters of Dragon Boy here we have Tongpu. Tongpu was just later that same year. So it, like there's there's not a even a year in between here. Uh, are you seeing any kind of differentiation between what he did in Dragon Boy and what he's doing here in Tongpu? Uh is the the sci-fi setting giving you anything different? Yeah, well the the sci-fi setting uh definitely has some differences. However, I would say the characters are in many ways similar to what came before. He's definitely sort of playing with uh character tropes, character ideas and I think it it's pretty clear at this point that he's going to have a male and a female lead interacting with each other for sure in yeah. his next series um very similar ways too so he's he's uh he's refining his ideas he's getting more to the point i mean it's still a little unclear uh tompu is a bit more worldly wise than even uh tang tong from dragon boy and um Puramo was actually i think a little bit more innocent and not not stuck up the way that uh, the princess and later bulma tend to be mm -hmm. but they they embody many of uh, many similar traits 
I think this uh, this is relevant here. Julian, what is Toriyama's comment from uh, this chapter in Weekly Shonen Jump, that, that exact issue? So, again, this he had a Dr. Slump chapter in this issue, but he doesn't comment on it. Instead, he uses his author comment to talk directly about uh, uh, this one shot. And he says, So I had to revise this one shot three whole times, so I was really tight on time. How'd it turn out? The reason why I say that's relevant here is I feel like the art in Tong Pu, it's so clean. It's so refined. Everything about it is so perfectly styled for that point in time. I feel like it's, it looks better than it has any right to. Yeah. And, and clearly it seems like he's really trying to refine his ideas again to revise it three times. It's not typical of Toriyama. Right. <laughs> this is someone who will hold on to it to the last second. So when he delivers the manuscript, oh, there's no time. We can't revise anything. Right. So if given the option, he would much prefer to keep it as close to the the original version as possible. So the fact that he was made or worked to the effort that he did to revise it that many times shows he's really, really um, trying to make his ideas clearer. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with him trying to find an angle to work with for his next series. And again, I think even though this is a sci-fi setting, he's really playing with like the the um, martial arts kind of choreography with uh, Tom Pu and the way he fights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a gun, but he, he mostly does it barehanded. Let's talk about some of those standout panels there. I mean, I feel like it should have been a full page, but when he breaks out of his clothing and he's got that one fist up in the air, he's like, I'm a, is that where he says I'm a cyborg? Uh, no, he says power Zenkai, like uh, full power, max power. That is such a great looking panel. The, the look on his face, everything about it is perfect. I feel like that deserves a full page. The next page we're going to get, it's like two thirds of a page of uh, the punch. The action looks great. There's not a lot of it uh the the punch up into the alien uh reminds me a lot of um that one fist kind of like not even paying attention fist up in the air that, that's such a, a cool look to him like yeah right. i got this it's just the his his nonchalant reaction to getting shot like right. oh no my belly button's huge now i can't go to the bathhouse like this <laughs> aliens what are you like i'm a cyborg no, I'm really angry. And he just goes into action. I want to call out some of the other panels, too. I'm looking at one here. It's Plamo. Uh, she's, it's kind of like this flashback scene where she's thinking back on arriving on the planet. It's just great framing of her against a black background that's sort of got like a gradient over into the side of showing the spaceship. That just looks great. And it conveys everything you need to know ab about the scene there. Uh, Tung Pu flying off on the hover bike. Uh, I think it's much better of an angle than one I had issue with previously in Dragon Boy, where Tang Tong was kind of turning the bike around. This one, right. it's... It just looks, it just looks right. It just feels right to me. Uh, everything about very early on in the chapter with Tong Pu's spaceship, uh, just everything in the ship itself and that hysterical machine. Uh, I mean, that's what Toriyama loves is <laughs> maybe he won't admit it and maybe he doesn't want to do all the work, but his, uh, his technology designs, his robots, uh, they're, yes. they're, they're great. Even when they're completely implausible, somehow they seem to work. <laughs> right, right. Yep. And the other thing I want to point out in this chapter is that that the, the backgrounds are a lot sparser than they were in Dragon Boy. And That's true, yeah. Than they are in early Dragon Ball. And I think particularly with the China angle for uh, both Dragon Boy and uh, early Dragon Ball, uh, he and his assistant uh, Takashi Matsuyama put a lot of effort into drawing the backgrounds. And here 
it's more like they want to concentrate on the characters and the framing and the choreography more so than the than the backgrounds themselves. Other than being an alien planet, the setting is more or less irrelevant. In fact, in many ways, it's kind of the minimalism that you might see on Planet Namek. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I mean, especially talking about how much water there is on the planet and we have some just some cliffs and just this endless expanse of just a planet out there not exactly i feel like we got more clouds here than we do on namek and maybe i'm wrong about that but that's just how i feel doing a quick look at it but uh yeah yeah it's worth pointing out there yeah but in that respect it's a lot cleaner and i think in that respect it really shows off uh toriyama's increasing um proficiency in his action last time uh on the first part we talked about where dragon boy was republished uh i i kind of don't want to go through all that again because it's literally all the exact same places the only difference is uh with this bunko release julian this is an emperor's feast of akira toriyama Yes, uh, Toriyama Akira Mankan Zenzeki. So the only difference here is that uh, as opposed to being published together, uh, Dragon Boy is in part one and Tongpu is in part two of this. Otherwise, all the exact same stuff, uh, the adventure special, uh, um, this was republished in Birdland Press over a series of parts, Blank Peace Theater, and then here, Emperor's Feast, uh, all the same kind of places republished. I'd say let's talk about any references to Tongpu in interviews, but everything we talk about with Dragon Boy, uh, it's the exact same thing over here. In fact, I would say there's only one interview that mentions it explicitly and it's not even by name and that's because Torishima mentions both Weekly Jump and Fresh Jump uh, and so logically you can assume he's talking about Dragon Boy and Tong Pu and we mentioned it last time and that's it's just the exact same story over and over and over. Uh, it's curious to me that Tong Pu really feels like again it is absolutely a prototype for Dragon Ball and it's not mentioned explicitly by name at all right. <laughs> in anything we've translated as opposed to Dragon boy which absolutely is why do you think that is well, i think it probably has to do with the fact that um apart from the capsules in in tongpu that dragon boy is uh superficially much more similar kind of more thematically so it it looks similar they're on a, a journey and just just the visual style seems much more in turn with in tune with dragon ball but this one this one it feels like he's refining um his art and his concepts um so even though the plot and the setting are different. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just feels a lot closer. Well, with that in mind, again, like we did with Dragon Ball, what do you think the legacy is of Tong Pu here? Does it stand alone as its own enjoyable one shot? And is it worth revisiting, uh, independent from Dragon Ball and in conjunction with Dragon Ball? Oh, I like it. It's cute. <laughs> it's got a funny ending. I mean, it's not the kind of open ended one that you would, that you had with Dragon Boy. So it's not like, where's the next one? Right. Like clearly they have to go find another planet and they're going to try and get back home. But it's not, right. we've had a self contained story and there's still nine tenths of the journey to go. It, it, that's not how this one ends. Right. So it's like riding off into the sunset, except they're flying off into space and <laughs> Puramo is not doing so well at the controls. I think it's definitely worth reading. Uh, every time I reread these, I'm like, oh, I like Dragon Boy. And I'm like, oh, I think Tong Pu is better. And then I'll reread Dragon Boy. No, Dragon Boy is better. <laughs> I think they both absolutely stand alone. Uh, and if you're a fan of Dragon Ball, you owe it to yourself to check these out uh, in any way that you can. Again, we talked about all the, the re-releases here. So those were the two main prototypes of Dragon Ball. We had Dragon Boy. We had the adventure of Tong Pu. We will now turn our attention. This is the stuff that I think is just absolutely bonkers and amazing. The true prototypes, as in this is what I'm drawing 
to be actual Dragon Ball. Uh, he's going to go through three, three and a half kinds of uh, kind of reworkings of what it's going to be. Julian, let's start at the beginning here. I love this. Toriyama's just going to do Journey to the West, huh? Pretty much. So you want me to read what he, he wrote? Or? Yeah, we, we have a, a series of quotes here. Uh, we'll talk about this at the end of the episode. Uh, in addition to all the new manga guide pages, we have a new translation that's going to be going up. Um, so why don't you read what you have here? Uh, is this the Birdland Press quote? Yes. So this is, is from uh, Birdland Press. It's actually from the November 1984 issue. So right when, uh, just getting going, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's the same month's issue for his fan club as Dragon Ball is first coming out. So And he's already telling uh, basically how the idea developed. And um, so he's. The, this one's interesting, and in these have been borrowed and recapped many times in different guidebooks. But these ones are decidedly from Toriyama's own voice. So I thought it would be good to have him talk about it, yeah, or yeah. write about it rather, rather than having a second or third hand version of it. So uh, let me uh, just read it here. Up to this point in time, I decided that if I were to do a new serial, I was going to do Journey to the West. I think uh, you'll be able to tell just by looking at the characters, uh, but it's more Journey to the West than Dragon Ball. Even Goku is an actual monkey in traditional style. I was planning to make both of the characters and the story faithful to Journey to the West, after all. However, the response from my wife and others wasn't all that great, so I thought I'd go ahead and revise the characters. I guess we have to say what Journey to the West is at this point. I, I guess. If you if you haven't um, been following the podcast for very long, or if, if you're just tuning in, so Journey to the West is a tale, uh, a, a, a very long novel from 16th century China, uh, traditionally attributed to Wu Chang'an, and it's uh, about the journey of... A Buddhist monk, uh, Xuanzang, or Tripitaka, or Sanzo, if you prefer, and his uh, several animal companions, uh, Sun Wukong, uh, or Son Goku, the handsome, the self-styled handsome monkey king, and or great sage, equal of heaven, etc., etc., uh, a demonic pig creature, uh, Ju Bachia, or Chohakai, or Pigsy, and a uh, sand, or a like a, a like a water water demon, I guess you want to say. Mm-hmm. Which is Shao uh, Wuqing, Sha Gojo, or Sandy, and don't forget the horse and the horse, who is actually a dragon. Right. So they're they're journeying to India to get some sacred scrolls. Uh, it's a hundred chapters. They kind of go in and out from uh, the chronology of the the story itself. You know, we start with the monkey, and then we go back into the monk's history, how he came to be, and then him meeting the monkey king, and them journeying there. Uh, if you like. Dragon Quest, you will love Journey to the West. It's a it's a series of vignettes. You go from village to village, uh, fight to fight. They're they're accumulating weapons and knowledge and everything along the way, and hysterical hijinks ensue. And it, it's a great tale. The funniest thing about it is that it it just goes back and forth between this very very um, high register poetic voice, and then it's it's down and dirty classic slapstick. And then we're comedy. peeing in jars. Yep, and and um, you know, in in spite of it having this religious bent, and that they're trying to retrieve sutras from India, it's 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 very much a comedy. You know what I actually want to uh, reference here? Uh, if you want to learn more about it, not, not a whole lot. Um, Jake and I did some Journey to the West Primer stuff here on the podcast. Uh, I did a special guest appearance on uh, Long Thoughts with Baloo, another podcast where he primarily interviews poets and other performers. Uh, I talked about Journey to the West there. So uh, I'll drop links to those uh, additional podcast episodes uh, here in the show notes. So check it out. Now that we've said what Journey to the West is, <laughs> let's talk about Toriyama's design 
signs here. Uh, everyone's kind of as is except for the monk. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. The quote-unquote monk is a, is a girl with a holstered gun and a cowboy hat. So yeah, we're, we're already um, sort of diverging here. It is interesting to note that tr- traditionally Tripitaka is played by a woman. Mm-hmm. So that is not so far afield as it might seem, but uh, it's it's interesting that she that he she he's definitely sort of diverging from the usual style here. Um, as much as it's a China-esque setting, she's clearly more of a Western, like Old West style than anything else. All right. So we have uh, the monk who is dressed up as basically a cowboy. Uh, Wukong, or rather Son Goku, looks pretty much as is. He's got the the, the adornment on his head. He's got the staff. Uh, he's an actual monkey with a tail. He's a little chibi here, but it's Wukong. Yeah, so it is very much uh, the journey to the West, um, as we as we say. Um, Pache or Pigsy has his rake from the story, so it it's still very much journey to the West as is. Right, it, it's not the full group at this point, but you can clearly see Toriyama's going. All right, I'm I'm doing journey to the West, and here are here's my take on some of these characters. He didn't get very far though, like you uh, you said from his quote there. Uh, the response wasn't all that great, including from his wife. So he's valuing his his wife's uh, opinion uh, quite a bit at this point. Again, Julian, who yes. is Toriyama's wife, uh, he hasn't been married very long at this point, but his wife, uh, she's got the chops to back it up. Yes. So his his wife is, uh, uh, her name is Yoshimi, and she went while she was active by the pen name Nachi Mikami. She is from Nagoya originally, and uh, she and Toriyama met, and uh, after about a year, they got married in May 1982. So by this point, they'd been married for about uh, two and a half years. Yes, but at this point, uh, they were helping each other a lot. In fact, it was his wife who originally had the interest in all these uh, Chinese things and kung fu movies, which she passed on to her husband. We really have his wife to thank. Hey, you mentioned that one of his quotes from Dragon Boy was, I think it was the, the second chapter. My wife has all this reference material on China and it's coming in handy. Well, yeah, it sure is, isn't it? But if she didn't like it, it means that he probably needs to do something else. Right. And and it's interesting that some of the later material makes it uh, that uh, Torishima didn't like it. And it's that's possible as well. He's yeah, probably certainly very strongly opinionated, but probably his wife might have the final say. <laughs> uh, I don't know, because Tori, Torishima's also said that, you know, I'll let you end Dr. Slump if you do a, a cool kung fu story and we, we get a chance to start something new. He wasn't going to just let him stop Dr. Slump uh, if whatever the next thing was didn't live up to his expectations, too. So That's true. That takes us to the, the second draft of this, which is we have the least on this because it seems like he got to this point and then this very quickly became the third and third and a half final draft. But uh, this is yes. the, the furthest away from its previous incarnation uh, along the way here. Uh, we have uh, one really important key piece of artwork. We have uh, clearly same kind of thing, but now we're down to a duo. We're not so much worried about the uh, the surrounding characters. We have Son Goku with the staff. Uh, the haircut is going to be very familiar to you if you're a Dragon Ball fan. Um, then we have uh, a female companion here. So uh, clearly, um, both characters have undergone quite a bit of revision. Julian, why don't we start with uh, Toriyama's quote here, again from Birdland Press, and we'll go on from there. Okay. So he says about his second draft, With that in mind, this is a result of my drawing the characters anew. 
Having come this far, it was almost Dragon Ball, although even at this point in time, I still hadn't come up with a title. Well, I was busy just coming up with a story, so I didn't have the time to go so far as to think of one. <laughs> However, I had at least come up with names of the characters. The boy is Son Goku, absolutely. The girl is Pinch. When her name was set as Pinch, she was also around the time that I started thinking of making the work an original story. So it's curious here. As he's refining the characters, this is also when he's thinking, all right, maybe I'm not going to do Journey to the West as is. Right. So in in, in very much uh, similar, uh, Goku still has his staff. But he's not a monkey anymore. And that's kind of like the the key difference here. Yep. And he's already got the Goku hair that he'll become known for. Yeah. yeah. And he, he does fly on something. But as in the first draft, it's not a cloud, but like this plain thing. It's actually very similar to, I think, what the... the um, what God has? Ring, the ringside announcer uses um, in the 21st Tenkai Budokai and also what God has in Dr. Slump, yeah, which yeah. came out in February of 84. Uh, how about Pinchy here? Yep. So she still has the cowboy boots and she still has a gun, but she's been made more feminine. She's wearing a skirt and a blouse instead of a cowboy outfit. And her hair is a bit more, I want to say, Bulma-ish. Yeah, yeah. Rather, rather than Midori-ish. This is definitely, again, this is, all right, this is a huge difference in terms of these two character designs. But from what he's saying in the background, like, he definitely wants to do a Journey to the West thing, but it's not going to be that as is. And as he continues to evolve with his characters here, the whole thing just starts to change a little bit. Right. And that takes us to the third pass. We, we kind of have this third pass and third and a half pass uh, along the way, and we'll talk about how and why that is. But, uh, Julian, as we get to the third pass here, we are effectively at Dragon Ball. So we've got uh, Goku and his dogi. We have him still using the Nyoibo. We've got um, sketches, which maybe not quite their final designs, but they're recognizable as Oolong, Yamcha, and Puar. They're real close. Yep. And you have the girl who is labeled as Pinchi. Uh, her costume has gone from more feminine to maybe a little bit more modern, a little, a little bit sexy uh, hair, racier perhaps. And she's wearing a tube top and, and pants instead of a girt and a blouse, but her hair is still similar. Why don't you uh, give us his uh, quote from the third pass here in uh, Birdland Press? So he says the setting looks Chinese at first glance, but it's actually an entirely fictional locale. Uh, the era is all over the place, and I think that's fine. That's because I can draw what I like, and whatever it turns into is fine. In other words, it's Anything Goes, my specialty. The story is uh, science fiction, adventure comedy, plus love comedy, plus sexy. As far as I'm concerned, love comedies are something that gives me headaches even now. With this, I've lost at least 10 of my precious hairs. P.S. Pinch is now called Burma. I'll add in something here to show her hair and clothes have changed a bit. Even at this point, he's he's drafted some things, but he's even changing those kind of last second here. Uh, not right. just her name, but also like the most defining characteristic, I'd argue, for Goku himself. Yeah, even in these late sketches, you don't see a tail. And apparently that's something that um, Torishima himself insisted on, is that uh, in spite of everything else being pretty much Dragon Ball at this point, that he felt like the the main character just didn't have anything to make him stand out. So he insisted that uh, Toriyama give him something. So he thought back to the origins of the character and said, okay, how about a tail? Finally, everything seemed to gel. So let's talk a little bit about he refines this third draft a little bit. Uh, a lot of this is coming in from, let's stop there. Let's talk about some of the resources we're pulling a lot of this from. Uh, we had the adventure special in 1987, which again, reprinted both Dragon Boy and Tongpu, but it also showed some of these drafts 
uh, some of the designs and gave us some commentary on them. Uh, we have Daizenshu 2, the story guide, which did the exact same thing. Uh, talked about the, what is it called, before Dragon Ball. Uh, gave us, yep. again, these designs and some exposition. Uh, and then we get, jumping back even further, though, uh, Burnland Press 15, which gives us everything that you're citing Toriyama from here as well. Uh, and that's going to be one of the new translations that's going up in full alongside these new manga guide pages. So, Julian, tell me a little bit about kind of draft three and a half here. So uh, draft three and a half. So he's saying that, uh, for example, he didn't want to throw away everything about Journey to the West. Uh, so he kept the name Son Goku, which again is the Japanese version of Sun Wukong, the monkey king. Right. And um, so he wanted to make people think that if you took Journey to the West and arranged it Toriyama style, that it would probably come out like this. Even he's at this point saying like, I know what my style is. So if I do my spin on it, this is what this would be. So it's kind of like, what would be people's expectations of me if I did Journey to the West? And so uh, he's made some minor changes to uh, his sort of pilot manuscript. So actually the pe people that are at this point, he was still calling Wulong and Yamcha, which has like a, a dot in the middle of the names rather than just being Oolong and Yamcha. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're slightly different in the final version from the, um, from the sketches that are shown. And um, he talks a little bit about the story, which is very much what we get in the first couple chapters of Dragon Ball in terms of uh, what's going on. Yeah, you know what? Why don't you actually read uh, these few sentences here? Because I think this... This is just perfect, Toriyama. So the story. Son Goku lived deep in the mountains all alone with his grandfather, so he knows nothing of the wider world. That's part of the comedy. With the techniques his grandfather trained him in, he's light on his feet and strong. One morning, Budama appears before him. She's a Naui city girl, two years older than Goku. She's using her 30 days of summer vacation to go in search of the Dragon Balls. She's a dreamer who wants to use the Dragon Balls, which can grant any wish, to get a wonderful boyfriend. It will be a tale filled with laughs, tears, and adventure with the older, spirited Bulma and the younger, mysterious youth Goku. And, of course, a little bit of that perverted fan service you all like. This is your dream story. I think it's it's really telling that Toriyama's talking about the fan service stuff here. Uh, there's a couple of times he talks about the, you know, the age of the characters and I'm sex them up a little bit. And he even kind of like throws Torishima under the bus a little bit, saying Torishima wanted yeah. a little sex here. He always says that. There's the, like the little um, note that he puts in during the Red Ribbon arc when uh, Dr. Brief porno magazines pop out of the one capsule. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little note that's uh, written in... Um, Japanese transliterated into the Latin alphabet that says, I didn't really want to draw this. <laughs> but he's, he's constantly saying that his it's his editor that's encouraging him to do that, the right, sexier right. type stuff. Whether that's true or not is an open question. Yeah, but that's, 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 that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Toriyama here goes on to talk about some of the stuff that we've talked about uh, already, like uh, the bikes and the capsules. Uh, Toriyama also mentions the dragon radar, uh, but he also mentions the staff here, and uh, maybe you can explain a little bit. We have a note about it in the transcript translation here that'll be going up but uh the name of the cloud is a little different yes so he uh, he notes about the nyoibo is a magnificent staff that extends and retracts freely according to one's will which is it's just very much the same the thing. same thing from journey in the west and it appears along with the kinton un which is how he writes it in journey to the west now it's important to note that in journey to the west there's the equivalent of kinton which applies to a technique more so than an object it's the cloud somersault, which uh, Sun Wukong uses to ride upon the clouds. Right. He's effectively flying through the skies with it. And Kintoun is the literal transliteration of it. So it's 
not clear whether Toriyama just was misremembering here, or whether he wanted to name it something else. Well, and the thing here is the the kin tone part is written in kana as opposed to the the full thing written in kanji. So it's like, I, I don't know. What do you think his mind frame was here? If he was misremembering it, I feel like wouldn't you just look it up and and write what it is? But this feels very deliberate to me. Yeah, so it's possible at this point he was planning on naming it slightly differently in order to distinguish it a little bit from Journey to the West, but it's hard to say for sure without something else yeah, to confirm that. That basically brings us to Dragon Ball. At this point, the characters have been redesigned quite a few times. At this point, Draft 3, the, the even into the final manuscript, the characters have their real names. Uh, they look like themselves. Goku has his tail. He's going to be doing a little bit of Journey to the West, but it's going to be a Toriyama-styled version of Journey to the West. It's come a long way. Uh, I feel like his drafts for Dragon Ball came a long way, but basically just brought him right back around again to Dragon Boy and Tongpu. Right. <laughs> so in many ways, it's like the more it changed, the more it stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. But you definitely still have the echoes of those earlier drafts as well as the one shots in the final version. Now, I did mention elsewhere that uh, during the pilot draft stage, he um, I think where was it? I think it was in the adventure special that they mentioned that he was still planning on eight Dragon Balls rather right, than right. seven. So that was something that got changed for the final draft and continued into the actual version of the story that we all know. And the reason for that was, well, he was just stealing it, so he changed it. Right. So he just wanted to make it different. He apparently got the idea from the Hakkenden, which is a, a long-winded um, narrative fiction from the Edo period. Was it early early 1800s, I want to say? Mm-hmm. About uh, eight brothers born from uh, a print and a dog, don't ask me how, and there's these jewels. But anyway, he, he turned that into seven. At this point, I think we've pretty much come full circle. We have. He does note about some of the some of the other things, about how much he enjoyed designing the number nine capsule bike and then had it destroyed right away. But he does have another capsule bike that's almost the same in uh, chapter four and five, which they also immediately stop using <laughs> and doesn't show up again. And then Bulma uses, loses her capsules, so... So that one doesn't show up for very long either. I guess at this point, let's talk about what we have going up on the website, because alongside this podcast episode, all this stuff going to be live, everything you can check out. Uh, so there's going to be a new section in the manga guide just called Dragon Ball Prototypes. There's going to be a few pages in there. There's individual pages for each of the, let's say, the three chapters. So Dragon Boy 1, Dragon Boy 2, and Tong Pu. And then on the main prototypes page itself, everything Julian, you and I just talked about, uh, all the Dragon Ball uh, actual prototype drafts along the way broken down into sections. Uh, you can see what some of those designs are. You can see the progression along the way. We've got the quotes from Birdland Press. And then we have in its entirety uh, the Birdland Press translation going up there. And this is just flat out called The Making of Dragon Ball. So it's it's a pretty good overview. Uh, in fact, it starts with a complete overview of all the works that Toriyama was working on along the way and gives you text about the first draft, the second draft, and then into what would become Dragon Ball itself. So glad we could throw this all together. Uh, I want to toss out some suggested reading. Uh, of course, anything we link on those pages is probably great. Uh, I think the Toriyama on the Road from Landmark, I say recent, but it wasn't so recent anymore at this point. Uh, Julian's starting to robot, and but we've reached the end of our episode here. So I think that's going to bring it to a close. Uh, I've, I've so much enjoyed this, just getting all this documented on the website. And I really, it was me rereading these and I'm going, man, 
man, I, I just want to cover these. I, I feel like this needs to be documented. And I, and I got a chance to learn a whole lot more in the process. And that was through reading it and through working with Julian. It's everything I love about Kanzenshu. Is stuff gives me a reason to enjoy Toriyama's work and it gives me a reason to learn new things. So I hope we can extend that to all of you reading the website and listening to the podcast here. So www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. We're bringing April to a close here. I know we didn't get a GT review. We'll be looking to do that in the very near future. We'll be picking up again into the baby arc. Now the baby is on Earth. Uh, things are actually getting a little exciting over there in that series. So with that, I, I guess I got to bring it to a close. And since uh, programs and headsets are not cooperating, that actually gives us an opportunity to enjoy Robo Julian once again. Uh, Robo Julian, can you please bring this episode to a close? Thank you for listening to Comes and Choose the Podcast. Please listen again next time. Thank you. Thank you.